0: Welcome back to Art Matters, the podcast for artists. On today's episode, I check back in with uh, LA based artist and friend of the show, Katya Zvereva. Katya's work pulls from her Russian heritage to address themes of war, social tension, and class strife. She's a mixed media artist using a hybrid technique of monotype and other printmaking techniques to make her massive paintings. When I spoke with her this summer, her solo show, Yggdrasil, uh, with the Art Room in L.A., had just closed. I was particularly happy to talk with Katya at this point because many artists describe the period of time following an exhibition to be challenging. This is just one of many reasons I was so happy to get the chance to sit down again with Katya Zvereva. Enjoy. So, yeah, um, I'm supposed to ask you some questions, huh?
1: Yeah, you do. Because otherwise I'll start saying some
0: ridiculous stuff that nobody would be interested in and just like... I disagree. <laughs> I think the ridiculous stuff is the fun stuff. Um, tell me a little bit, just because this is area where we've uh, gone over since I've been here, because I've been here a couple of days, but you recently had the, uh, a solo show open and close, and you're kind of in that zone right now, which I think a lot of people find complicated uh you know no matter how the show goes sell out or no sales or somewhere in between it's this weird pause that happens that's just the natural part of the process but did you feel after that show closed or even after the work went up that you were a bit blocked in your work did you did you feel relief because you could finally work on the next stuff um how how has the feeling of your practice changed since that show sort of came into being, and then now is behind you?
1: Well, I once the show went up, and I saw the last piece of the show, the tree
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, up on the wall, because I couldn't see it in the scale of how it's supposed to be because of the space where I was creating it was very small for that piece,
2: hmm.
1: and when I saw and when I experienced the moment when it went up on me and was put on the wall, I saw very clear what I want to do next. Hmm. And it's the series of the trees, the forest, and it has to be massive. And the idea is to create a labyrinth of those trees. Hmm. Uh, But I was very excited about it in Hmm. the beginning. Like Once I did it, I was like, okay, start doing sketches i start like thinking about the model because to create the installation of what i want to do you do have to have a smaller model to make all the walks through and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to figure out what where and then you need to start working on the particular
0: imagery of pieces or how they're going to be the model you said you had a model even for this show that just closed or you are building a model for like the next one in your head right now yeah
1: yeah I'm building uh, I started building uh, in SketchUp Uh huh. but the point is that I need to find a space uh, my thought process was that I need to find, first I need to find a, a big enough space where I can create this labyrinth and all those things uh, but I started it hmm. I started uh, sketches of some pieces so I, I would know how to do it but then i realized that i'm so drained
0: <laughs> mm. like you had already kind of gotten going you got the sketches you were ready to go and yeah
1: like i had this jump to start flying oh, that's
0: so interesting okay
1: i jumped and then i was like fuck the wings are not working huh. <laughs> so i landed back uh-huh and i was like it's okay i can and then it was like because between the putting the artworks up on the walls and the actual day of opening was like something wrong week
2: uh-huh.
1: so all those sketches and planning happened exactly in this week before the opening and then when opening happened it drained that whole event of opening drained me a lot because it's a lot of Things that I hate about mm. the openings,
2: Yeah.
1: and is when when people are coming to you and telling you that you're special when you're not.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> you just a regular person who loves to paint, and then you share it with other people. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I don't know how it's called. But anyways, um, and that took a lot of. My willpower of keep keep doing stuff because I was like, I was excited, and I was absolutely broken, and all those things together.
0: I can totally relate to uh, it. Uh, something similar happened to me. Um, let's see, it was later last last fall, I think, where I had this phone call um, with a gallery that I uh, was considering working with. And, you know, going into that, uh, I really had my mind on "Eh, don't be nervous, don't worry about it beforehand, be present, you know, just that kind of stuff, because I I don't like giving anxiety too much of my energy these days. But something happened. Um, Something happened that I didn't (laughs) expect, which is that the conversation went great. Like, it was just, from start to finish, I felt like I elucidated my thoughts uh, pretty clearly, pretty simply. Um, It wasn't like one of those talks where like, oh, great, we're going to work together after. But it did feel like a a talk where everyone sort of said what they thought, and everyone was clear. And, you know, I left it feeling like, nice job. Like, that was a pretty professional fucking thing that just happened, and you Mm -hmm. didn't, you know, cock it up. But what was funny is, just like you, afterwards I was drained. I felt like somehow because I put put the things into words and heard responses and um, drew these pictures, like articulated these pictures. Afterwards, something—it's like it wasn't mine anymore. Or yeah, because that, it's
1: not yours anymore.
0: Because I, I, I—exactly. Because I described it, and I really not for the first time but in maybe a professional setting it's only happened a couple of times explaining what these rocket ships are about what i want to do why i'm making them all of it and i got back to the studio and my uh, gas tank was empty and i, I kind of fell into something for a week or two
1: wait your ga- gas literally your gas tank in the car or your emotional it was, gas it was
0: tank. A, it was a metaphor oh, oh, oh yes okay. so my emotional energy was was drained and And I I think it's really important that that sort of stuff is, you can't really protect yourself against it, but you, there is something that happens when you, you know, at an opening or a closing or just on a phone call, when you are sort of tasked with being your work spokesperson. And some of us maybe don't have this problem, but it did, it it does drain me and it sounds like it drained you a bit.
1: Yeah, but I think it's a good sign though, because... It means, first of all, it means something to you. So -hmm. in the moment when you're talking about those ideas and you share it with other people, you share everything in those ideas that are in you
0: with those people. So if you're like... Oh, like you're being honest about it. Yeah. It's not just some sort of elevator pitch.
1: Yeah, and it's like this... I think when you pronounce the idea out loud, it's like this first reaction this chemical or not chemical reaction but the, uh, the physical reaction of the birth mm. of like how the spermatozoid and the, what is the other little thing in egg. the women egg mm-hmm. they fertilize uh-huh. and that in, that releases insane amount of energy mm. to start life so that's the same thing when you pronounce out loud, out loud for the first time mm. Uh, responsibly your thoughts about what you want to do, and you do it with the people with whom you want to do it, potentially. That's that first moment of the release of the energy of the fertilization.
0: Look who just nailed that metaphor. Just like, uh, you know, the perfect (laughs) metaphor. I love it. No, no, no. I I truly do. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The energy release is.
1: So you have to be tired. You have to be like, you did this first step, and then... You need to keep going and creating it, because like with a lot of, I don't know. Again, back to the metaphor of pregnancy and stuff like this. Some mm-hmm. of them they end without mm-hmm. being re- like mm-hmm. turning into a human being or not human being, whatever. Sure. So the same thing here with the, with the ideas. Once it happened, it has to keep going. You have to feed it properly. You fa- you have to do all those things with yourself to maintain this idea into the actual world. So that's what I think.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I, I, uh, like I said, I, I think it's a really fitting metaphor. And then something I'd add, which is again out of my own experience, is you, um, so you can't protect yourself from that uh, because you artists do have kind of a responsibility, I think, to... You know, answer the phone, have these calls once in a while, go to their openings, answer some questions there. You know, it's it's I guess you don't have to do it, but I think it's pretty pretty common. But I also think that I think you have to. Okay, so, so <laughs> let's just say you have to. But I also think you don't always have to. And I found myself in another situation where I had um I had fallen into a conversation that I didn't need to be into and I wanted so badly to again paint a picture of intentions or you know the sincerity with which I um, was whatever the project was and I got out of it and I think I'd sort of succeeded oh the point got across whatever but I got out of it and I jumped in a cab and I was driving away and I was like the fuck did I do that for? Like, I didn't need to do that. There was no um, I think sometimes there's a desire uh, probably when you need a little external validation, which does happen um, to to allow for yourself to be in that situation without really being aware of it. And I I just remember a frustration with myself like, I could have let that conversation go at a yeah, well,
1: what, what you're what talking I- about the conversation that you have on the meeting when you are about to create the idea, like to make it possible in physical way. No, that's
0: a good uh, good or, question. Or
1: it's a, something that you had a show. You showed your work, so It was a group show or solo show, whenever, and you talked with people. What, See, it what was kind? It
0: wasn't of-, of those situations. The work was already happening, and I'm being purposefully vague here, so I apologize, but. It was a conversation that was about the work that was already in uh production, and I just found myself really wanting to explain to someone maybe who was a little bit doubtful of of the project what I was up to it like it was an unnecessary conversation. no one it wasn't uh I suppose it was a professional setting, but my point is is there's I think artists often feel like it's our job to. Sell ourselves and our ideas, and and I do think that there are situations where that's true. But other times, I just I don't want to be in that situation uh, again, where I didn't have to sell anything. There, I didn't have to sell anybody on anything, and yet, I think it was kind of a knee jerk reaction for me to say. Oh, you don't quite get it? Well, let me explain it all to you. Like, this sort of, like, car salesman who, like, you know, an unsuspecting couple walks into the lot and you're just like, oh, there's people here, let's sell them a Toyota. Like, eh, because I know that artists do have this responsibility, uh, we do, to to sell. It's not, you can't just rely on a gallery or or your, you know, agents or, or, or whatever, but It was, I don't like the knee jerk reaction that I had. And I think that's my point for this whole story is sometimes we got to do it and we try to do our best at it and we try not to release all the energy and be sincere. But other times understanding what that energy is, like how you just described it, damn, like I don't want to give all of that just because I I'm in salesman mode or something, or I feel like I should be. I need to be. I need to shut the fuck up more. You <laughs> know, he says on a podcast of his own making. <laughs> I'm not selling anything on his podcast though, so maybe it's a good thing. Anyway,
1: anyway. Well, I yeah. Well, I think it also depends. Like, what was the circumstances when somebody asked you about what, what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing? Because your ideas w- wouldn't be able to explain themselves, even if you, they're pretty clear on a three-dimensional space, two-dimensional space. Mm. But there is certain things about your ideas that you are sharing with other people that are impossible to write about or impossible to explain in a visual way and they do have to be spoken about and they do have to be explained to the people who are um, not able to see and to feel and experience the things that you are able to so I think it's one of the it's kind of your duty Mm. to your work to talk about your work as much as you can
0: how about this? How about if we just meet in the middle and say that, uh, yes, that is your duty, but it's also um, for the good of yourself to know when to really expend that energy, mm-hmm. like we said, like the the egg analogy, Oh, and then other times when you can just kind of get away with a sincere elevator pitch, just kind of throw it out there, and if someone shows that they're really interested and you deem it the right time then you go but I think I started at a hundred and then I stayed there for 15 minutes and I needed to not I didn't need to give it that much I could have given it 15 percent and and still made it to the other side just like I did
2: but
1: did you felt like in that particular moment when you went and hundred percent in that 15 minutes that I need to explain them Did you felt that way? If you did, it's great. And the mic
0: goes pop.
2: (laughs) Um, Because,
1: like, if you did felt that way in that particular moment, yeah, it's good. You needed it. You you Mm -hmm. needed to be this pushy, this I don't know person who wants and gets and explains, because I think. Like we are lucky to be able to create the artworks that we've been. I don't know. We have the gift and ability uh, of ability to transcend the um, our ideas and some other people' ideas into into the world. Hmm. So. It's our job to push them. I don't do it. (laughs) And I think I'm saying this out loud to remind myself that I do need to do it more often. I do need to talk more about what I'm doing because um, it is a part of my... It's it's my responsibility. But it depends on how I look at at my work and my art like, do I look at it as a healing process for myself? Then I don't need to explain it to anybody. I do it for myself. But if I create art and I want my my art to do something with other people, so it, I don't do it for myself, and I do need to talk more about it and share more about it and explain more about it so it will... Kind of, I don't know. Expand to more eyes and more ears.
0: Let's take a quick pause. I can't get the honey out of the honey thing, so I need to go <laughs> grab a knife to uh, to uh, facilitate my tea drinking. Right. We'll right. be right back. <laughs> and we're back. I got honey in my tea.
1: He lied to you. He needed to pee.
0: At two. <laughs> uh, Katya made a phone call. <laughs> and we're all in. Okay. So, um, ooh, I want to jump off, uh, jump onto something that you said right before we took a break, which is you separated two different, like, uh, intentions with your practice, uh, whether it was a healing process or... Or if it was about, you use a different word, but I would just say communication, communicating to the audience. Um, Do you choose that prior to the painting being made? Or um, is it something that you sort of agree upon as you see the finished piece? Or is it something that could be both? Like you decide on one and it becomes the other halfway through? Because I don't think I work that way
1: a good question
0: i have i'm full of good questions
1: (laughs) um i think i passed that period of time when i was making art that were uh, about my personal reasons and personal life Mm -hmm. and uh it it stopped being like a sublimation of what I am, who I am, why I'm here. So I start thinking in a little bit bigger scale of I'm part of everything that's happening around and the enti- in this world. And I do want to understand how this world works. Mm. So because of that I'm reading and watching a lot of things that are about the world and humans in general and their decisions Mm -hmm. and then I make art about it it's my response, it's my personal response Mm. about the things that existed before me and will exist after me
0: Mm. and can both exist at once? I mean, have you made a piece that was about your process, your healing some sort of sort of therapeutic i think that's probably diminishing to call it some sort of therapeutic exercise but uh, something along those lines and then find after the fact beautifully that it is a communicatable piece
1: yes it was in 2017 i did this uh art installation in church Mm. and oh i remember that
0: piece you had the whole uh runway thing right but this is the piece that was hanging behind the altar I'm yes
1: yeah oh, it okay. was an ultra piece that piece called life mm. and that's that was such a good piece and that started as a you th- like the whole installation the whole series that called love it was it started as a therapeutic exercise for myself and it turned into something that i realized that worth worth sharing with other people because they are going through the same bullshit as I did Hmm. (laughs) but the the piece uh, live it's some kind of self-portrait in a weird way Hmm. Um, but it became something else after I finished it it's still self-portrait but I don't think I'm the only one who is there
0: I want to ask you a question about that show in particular, because I think that was the first time I saw an artist that I knew personally, um, very confidently it seemed, step out of the the fine art world into fashion. Like uh, I know your pieces were Oh,
1: 2017.
0: Yeah, 2017. Oh. Wasn't that the one with the the life piece in mm-hmm. the background? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So um That piece you actually collaborated with um, a uh, a brand or a fashion line?
1: It wasn't that they collaborated the piece, we collaborated the show.
0: Right. So you had the pieces hanging, but it was sort of like a performance in the fact that there was a runway with... uh,
1: The artworks, because I also printed the fabrics. The fabrics, right.
0: So I suppose my question is, um, what did... It feel like to and maybe you had done this before so you can give me a little backstory too but what did it feel like to have a painting i'm calling them paintings because i don't know what words you use Do you call them paintings
1: No, i call them paintings but those pieces were woodcuts
0: woodcuts okay so having the woodcuts hanging in sort of the traditional format you know on a wall granted in a pretty spectacular space and then having your printed textiles also woodcuts
1: yeah yeah. it was all made from the same material
0: exactly uh as this sort of um transformed into um fashion what was it like was anything going through your head were you just excited to see your work reinterpreted in another way did you have doubts about it did you have and again i'm talking about when the idea was first proposed, did you love the idea, or were you a little hesitant? Maybe.
1: No, we already started working on some pieces with Carolina and the idea was that it will be a walkable art. Mm. So it's the, it's a painting that can live in the world with people. So you don't have to you don't have to have a particular wall space where it's hanging. It it could live with the people the same life
0: huh. so in that sense kind of like a installation or it, like you could still think of it in those terms versus it's clothes now is that is that right no
1: it's not it's not just clothes okay okay it's still a piece of art that you can wear like even the clothes that i'm making right now it's still a piece of art that you can you can wear
0: hmm. let's talk about that Like um, So I've been here for a handful of days now, and every day you're wearing a new piece that you have created, whether it means what you're wearing right now, which is uh, printed upon sweats, or (laughs) every other day, which has been these awesomely unique uh, dresses and shirts and so on. And I know your partner uh, from time to time wears your stuff as well. Like you, while still uh, keeping your studio practice, you know, the stuff that is, was hanging on the walls uh, recently at your show, you're also doing all of these, um, you're pursuing another medium that is not just clothes. I would absolutely agree these are art pieces, but what's the... um, um, how do you look at these two? Do you get something from uh, making a piece of unique clothing that you don't from a painting?
2: Huh? <laughs>
0: like, like when you make one, are you, uh, the practice is obviously different, but is it, um, is it busy work for you? Is it just, you don't like buying clothes? Is it, it's still a creative process. So I'm just wondering how that creative process is different from the one in your studio. Yeah. Like, do you get the same joy out of both? Oh of them?
1: yeah, absolutely. And uh, with the making clothes, it because we all suffer from anxiety, and it sewing and create and making clothes for me helps with anxiety. And I don't want to wear boring clothes, so I make my own. All ah, right. Ha, ha.
2: All right. <laughs> I'm such an ass. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: But it's accurate. You don't wear boring clothes. Um, would it? Uh, would you ever sell them these clothes as far as i know you guys i mostly... knew
1: that question will pop up yeah oh there's <laughs> gonna be a lot more of
0: that baby let me tell you no i mean like do you think of them as art objects that other people would enjoy and would it give you any joy to sell them in that way maybe just for profit but also it's more of your creativity getting out of the world isn't it
1: Yeah, I think I will. I'm getting closer and closer with because, like, my original collaboration with Carolina was that my artworks would be walking on the streets on people, and I really like that part. Uh, so but I didn't know how to make them sell back then, so I didn't need that, um, collaborative aspect, and I really like what. Carlene was doing with the fabrics because I was only making fabrics, and the rest was on her. Mm. She was creating how they will look like and all that stuff. So it her it was her designs. Okay, and I liked a lot what she was doing with them. Mm. So it perfectly worked out in that moment when we were doing it together, but later in years our ways went separate. So. I learned how to do it myself slowly. It's not I mean it wasn't a good quality enough, but now I'm getting to the point where it's very good quality.
0: Not <laughs> not to, not to <laughs> toot your own horn or anything. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well my ego right now is just <laughs> That's what
0: happens when you hold a microphone. Yes, I think so. Um what about um do you miss collaborating? Like, do you miss that collaboration or, or the, the the essence of that collaboration? Is it something you would want, again, in the future? Have you had one since? How do you feel, or do you like being alone in the studio now? And
1: I like to be alone in the studio, but I do like collaborations, too. My last collaborations with, with Caleb, like, I did... Um, album covers for him. I remember, yeah. And uh, I did some artworks for his album. We did a few music videos together. So it was a a pretty cool collaboration. But I think, I know, I mean, I would love to have more of those things. Because like, when you work together with another artist, you're not boxed in the way how you're like, oh, I want things this way, I want things that way. And then somebody else comes into the game and they are sharing their thoughts and you're like, oh, I didn't think that angle. Mm-hmm. Like, I can do this and I can do that. But then it comes to the point, like, with ego, like how much you can stretch your ego and how much you can accept what other people want to do with your art. Because... um but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty flexible with that. Yeah. But there is a lot of people who are not, and they're suffering when they see how their artwork's being cut up in pieces and,
0: yeah.
2: uh,
1: I don't know, whatever, whatever people with whom you're collaborating are doing with them.
0: Yeah, I think that that's <coughs> fair. I, I think I sometimes look at good collaborators like I look at good teachers. And for me, I'll say good art teachers good any teachers their art is their teaching you know I think maybe one day I could teach I could maybe be okay at it but I, I've been lucky enough to like work with a couple of people who I think as good of artists as they were and they were good artists they could teach like that was their thing mm-hmm. and sometimes I think collaboration is the same because um they're because it is an, a separate superpower to work alongside someone and, and know how to make one another better. And and, and and maybe this isn't essential, but I do think about it uh, from my back, uh, background in music, is how to make that long term, too, where you don't strangle each other, where it doesn't all end in, in punching.
1: Well, it depends on power games that then.
0: Sure. But again, (laughs) those can even be dynamic, just like, you know, dueling egos. Like it can be dynamic and it can be um, aggressive and defensive at times. But I think a real artist collaborator is someone who knows how to, how to be in that space and get things done and, 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 I just, it's it's a theory. I don't have any background for that or any data to back it up, but... Yeah, but um, you
1: recently were collaborating with Amina on your pieces.
0: I was. We did one together, and I think we were both nervous about it because, again, strong egos, and, and in that sense, I don't know how to put this up as a data point, but that experience was incredible. <laughs> like, really incredible to... Because in so many ways, it works like it did in my dream version, which is um, you know I, I've known uh, I mean, it's been my partner for a long time, and I, I know the curves that she draws. and I know the, the way that she thinks about space. And, and not to say that I, I understand it or could do it myself, that's the point. When I saw her start attacking the drawing state of that rocket ship, I saw these shapes that I couldn't make. And when we were both sitting back from it, looking up at the rocket, sort of talking, planning, of course there were ideas that she was bringing up that I can't tap into. I do think we're all, this is part of the reason I love at least the idea of collaboration, sort of limited in ways we don't think. We all have shapes we like, compositional plans that we Tend to go for uh, a color palette that speaks to us. You know these things. We're surely slowly but surely we can uh, expand. You mm-hmm. know, trying new things. But what I loved so much about working on that painting with Amina was we just both built it in the way that we wanted to. And occasionally it got a little, no, I want this, no, I want this. And so I think I lost a few, she lost a few, uh, but it never. It definitely didn't come to the point that I feared, which is, you know, the two of us not talking for a week. Um, at that said, I don't think it it's sustainable. I don't think that the two of us could just continue to make paintings like that. Because for both of us, I think it was it was using a muscle that was so, you know, it was real exercise. Yeah, we might be able to train ourselves to be better at it. But when that painting was done... Granted, it was a twenty-footer. <laughs> um, when that painting was done, we were both like, "Whoosh!" Like, "Let's, <laughs> all right, I'll see you. I'll see you dinner. Huh? Let's not." Uh... Anyway, there there was just a. It, it was definitely a time we both wanted space for our own projects. So right,
1: yeah. I did also a collaboration on furniture with my friend Jared, uh, and we did. We were using my old uh, wood blocks. Oh, okay. uh to make furniture from them because they were just like stocked in my storage hmm. and Jared was like "Oh, well, we like I had an idea that I want to make furniture from them but I didn't know how to do it and he had a possibility of create making furniture uh-huh. and it was my first collaboration on woodworking with another
0: artist this is when you were still in New in York. York yeah yeah I yeah think I remember
1: and we did few pieces that were
0: wild. Hmm.
1: And uh, Was
0: the bed one of them? Or was no, that a no, solo U piece? No,
1: I did it myself, yeah, the bed okay, frame. Okay. And then after that, I showed him my bed frame. And then he was like, ooh, we can do something together.
0: Ah, all right.
1: And uh, we spent like two weeks in Vermont getting ready for my show in New York. And we did few pieces uh that were based, like they were from my woodcuts, from my woodblocks, uh-huh. and then we did few pieces that were just like this colorful cutouts of stuff. Hmm. And he's very classic, like his education in furniture making is pretty classic. Okay. He, he makes this, um, but he developed his own language and his own technique in what he's doing. Uh, but he likes everything very, precise, very nice, tight, clean, beautiful, and you look at it and you're like, whoa, that's a machine, but no, it's even better, it's like, handmade piece. So we did this few pieces, and he never done anything like we did together because it was this very bright, very weird like, what is that? And we did few pieces that were based on my uh, woodblocks, and they're like more in his. But it was, it, I think, the collaborations with different mediums and different artists. They are very important for any art practice because then you you understand as an artist in your head that you are not limited to the medium that you chose.
0: I agree. Like I completely agree. With that. <coughs> you, yeah.
1: You can do anything you want. And like my goal that I would love to do one day is to like to collaborate with some architect and to create the, the building with a, incorporation of the artworks and like my art and stuff like like uh I don't know if did like all those uh, that, that particular I, I forgot where that building in mexico city Hmm. but he collaborated with the architect and he did all the mosaics and paintings on top of that building sure yeah 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 and it's wild Mm
2: -hmm. so and it's
1: like how and that's how the art used to be and how it was it was a inevitable part of the architecture Hmm. and it was this like when you look at the Catholic churches and you see how they're like the paintings in there and how they're all in- incorporated in the in the arch- architectural structure and things like this. Hmm. So it's all very interesting, I think, to explore if you have a chance.
0: So when you start these new mediums, because... I I completely agree uh, in uh, the helpfulness of expanding your uh, your abilities, uh, your creative abilities. But when you first started um, uh, printing on fabric, knowing that it was going to be used for clothing or when you started uh, making works out of wood, um, did you find some sort of immediate thrill in it and enjoyment or was it... Was it difficult, like filled with self-doubt, like kind of when we all start the initial thing, when I first started painting or when someone starts drawing as an adult? Was it riddled with that or because I, I have to imagine being good at something and then jumping into a new skill, that's always pretty intimidating. Did you feel that way with either either one of these?
1: I never thought I was good at something first of all. Oh,
0: I see. <laughs> Somehow doubt it, but I see.
1: No, uh, when I first start like I never planned to make clothing from my artworks. I never planned making furniture from my wood blocks. It just happened as an idea that developed into different objects. Like with the clothing, it started with uh, Carolina just coming into my studio and seeing all the stuff that I had there with all the experimental things that I did. And I didn't know what to do with them. And she just offered like, how about I will make something from them, something else, something next, what can be done with this? And uh, I was like, Sure and she did few pieces and it looked cool so we decided to do something else and then it was like it didn't happen in one day that that collabor- a clothing collaboration happened it sure. was like yeah. it was few months it was like kind of like tip-toeing from one corner to another corner, and then it happened. The same thing happened with furniture. Like, I didn't plan to do anything with those wood blocks, mm. and I didn't plan to make those colorful cut-out pieces.
0: Was it also someone's um, idea, like someone else came in and kind of sparked the idea, or do you remember when you first looked at that those wood cuts, like the, um, the actual pieces of wood, mm-hmm. and thought sculpture or I don't know how you talk about it but yeah a 3d a 3d work
1: Uh, well it was like I had those Stalks of wood In my storage
0: kind of taking up space taking up space. It's, up space. it's mm-hmm. still
1: taking up a lot of space because I didn't do with all of them just like few pieces and uh, Jared just was like, oh, I'm making furniture and uh, I was making stuff before, but I never used the actual wood blocks. I was creating wood blocks for the next pieces, mm. and it always it was always was starting with experiment, and always was starting with a mistake. It always was starting with a fuck up that uh, was leading into something else. It not, nothing was ever planned.
0: Mm. I no, I appreciate you going into this, and I don't mean to like hammer on this part because I know this, all of this uh, is is a, in a ways back now. But why I'm harping on it is I think that there's a stubbornness that comes with um, artists when you're maybe you don't think you're good yet, but at least you've given a good amount of time to an idea or a practice, and stubbornness is important. On the one hand, when it comes to, um, you know, sort of that confidence that drives you forward and doesn't let uh, doubt totally, you know, erode your, your, your work, work practice. But I, why I like this is you allowed yourself in these moments, gradually over time, it seems like to not desire control of your work. And I think that's really, really crucial. The idea that someone could come in and uh, suggest a thing or the more you were thinking about this sort of um, this sort of waste element or, you know, this these blocks taking up space in your studio and allowed for um, allowed for your control to be diminished because you then thought, well, let's explore this. Let's. Let's see where this goes. And I agree, even for me, painting is often, uh, it's it's connected, it's intertwined with experimentation. I, I still feel like I'm there. But I do also uh, very much need that control. And I think that it's really important for younger artists to know that there's good control. And then there's the good out of control stuff where you just let something happen and pick up the pieces after and um and and know when something is different. You don't have to say it's different and good, but know when something is different and maybe take it a little further than you know normally would into a on a path that you didn't think you would be on. I think that that is like if I had known that earlier when I was in college and I was thinking of myself as I'm a printmaker. I'm a printmaker right now. Gradually, I decided, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a painter. I'm a painter. But then I held on to that for years, even if I saw these little avenues that I might go down. I, just, it, I didn't have maybe the courage to lose that sense of control. And I think that you did. And we're kind of seeing seeing the effects of it. You are still making what you're supposed to be making whatever you know this this these paintings are still happening um but you've got these clothes i'm looking around your house and there are these exceptional pieces of furniture that i know you are still you're not a 100 percent prepared to sell and make show of and like but they're great but it's all the sort of I think it comes down to control and allowing yourself to see what else is out there. And I think that's a, that's a great quality in any artist.
1: Is it a question? Is it a question? No
2: question. <laughs> just a compliment.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. But can I add a little thing about the control aspect? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's a a philosophical aspect of living your life. Hmm. And it's not only about your art it's also about how you accept the life in general. Like, do you want to control what's happening with you or do you want it to be the way it is? Yeah. Because I don't believe that we're in control of anything that is happening with us. Most of the time we can just respond to the things that are happening. Yeah. So the same thing with the art, when you created a piece, that's it. Hmm. The stuff that is going to happen with it afterwards is not your responsibility. It's the it's just the way it will go. Hmm. So that's how I look at everything in my life because no matter how much I plan, no matter what I do about what I want and stuff like this, it just it just always uh, goes the way it goes. Yeah, it's like with that. Uh, children's book that i want to make one day about the waterfall that we are in the waterfall and we're a tree that fall in the waterfall and as much as we're gonna battle with in the waterfall with water we will be punched to the stones and we will suffer from the pain because we're tree that's been bitten by the by the stones Hmm. and once we accept and it happens slowly that we're turning into this big wooden fish that the stone made from us. And then from the big stone big fish that is made from wood, we are eventually gonna become the real fish that will be enjoying this waterfall and just being like, Whoa, we can do this way, that way, whoa yeah, this jump, that jump and then eventually we will die. And we will become this waterfall. We will become this water. So that's the level of control that I want to achieve. Like no control, because it, nothing, nothing is. Everything is chaos. Everything is everywhere, and it's beautiful. And like, let's just enjoy it while while it lasts. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> First of all,
0: I very much hope this children's book comes to us sooner rather than later. Uh, I think it sounds great. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is probably pretty basic, but it's new for me, uh, realizing that control in the rest of life, I do think of control in the studio and about art making, but having recently made a few steps in, you know, uh, down the mental health path, I absolutely regard days that I'm able to not be in control as way better days. Days when I don't have, like, I accept the things that I intend on doing, on accomplishing, but then I also allow everything else to happen in that day. I mean, it's, it's, uh, night, night and day for me. Um, the sort of, um, the sort of space I'm in at the end of those days when I've tried to control everything I'm usually uh, uh, you know I'm not a wreck but I'm certainly unhappier than the days when I sort of allow for life to happen don't get bent out of shape
1: yeah so it's better to respond on what's happening than try to control it because then you're gonna be fucked
0: (laughs) sage words
1: (laughs) sage yeah, you're a sage. What is sage?
0: Like a wise, oh. wise man, woman. Whoa. Like Buddha. <laughs> so I want to switch direction now, and I want to ask you something that's been on my mind for a bit. Wait, we were recording this
1: entire time? Yes. You're an asshole.
0: I know, right? Um, it's the Recording magic, keep you on your toes. <laughs> I don't care. So, um, your work, I mean, from that show that you just put up, you've always worked pretty big not always you, yeah, I shouldn't say always, but I will say the new pieces in that last show were very large. And I want to say that that tree might be one of the biggest that you've ever made. No, not even, but close it's, it's massive.
1: No, I did the piece like this, this size already.
0: Okay, but not too many. This is big for you. That's all I mean.
1: No, it's the size that I would prefer to work with.
0: So that's why I'm asking this question. You are working in a pretty normal-sized house. Well, actually kind of a small house. And am I right in thinking you made the tree here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of people like you who want to work big, who see scale as really important to their ideas coming across, and feel uh beyond suffocated by their home studio or even their studio studio. You know, think about us back in New York, well myself in New York, like the, the you're working in you're like sardines. So what how did you make that piece what advice do you have for artists who are trying to go big but feel like they can't? I Don't. mean don't but you want to i mean the, i can't imagine that was an easy thing to do in this stu- in this uh, space that you have yes. so i'm just how did you do it and i moved uh, all the furniture from the living
1: room uh-huh. and i did it in the living room that piece is the exact amount of space in my living room Really? That I like can from use. corner to corner no no that i can
0: use okay yeah and Was it hell to have that? I can't imagine you made it in uh, too quickly. I mean, was your house just really inconvenient for that period of time? And is that why you don't recommend people follow your lead and try and do something of that scale?
1: Well, I can judge only based on my practice. And my practice is very um, durable for living, I would say. Because, like, first I carve... The vinyl and it's literally a floor piece. Right, right. So and then from that floor piece, I I roll out the piece of vinyl. I carve it. Everybody can walk on it and it's completely fine. My I dog see. can lie on top of it. Whenever it's happening, it doesn't bother. Then I print this piece hmm. and I print it like twice because I need two two pieces, one on top of another one. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, while I'm, it takes me like what, I don't know, hour and a half to print both. Hmm. And then I roll it. And now the plate is under my couch.
2: Hmm.
0: So it really is a practice. The, this thing that you've developed, uh, it's yeah, but- sort of made to work in tight, uh, uh- sort of well, tight quarters.
1: I, I, didn't have a cho- I didn't have a choice. That's the yeah. thing. Like, I I wanted to work big, but I didn't have the space, so I had to compromise of understanding what kind of medium I can use to work in the size that I want to work. Like, for, first, it started back in New York when I was making these uh, eight-by-eight-feet pieces mm-hmm. that they're impossible to storage if there is... A, the way they are so there is no question about it it will be a a stretched painting this size that you need to move from one place to another place like if you show them at the gallery or if you sold the piece and you need to transport it everything if the size like this size has to be transported Mm -hmm. it's insane amount of money yeah um and uh I just realized that I can fold my stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I can, so that that's like all those little things, they do dictate your art practice, I think. I mean, they just dictate my art practice. Sure. Like, it's not that it was my original intention to work the way I'm working, sure. it just happened.
0: Do you think that, this is kind of a cliche question, but, um... I think a lot of people would say that you artists work best uh, within these uh, limitations that they, again, can't control. Do you feel like ideally, uh, I mean, ideally you wouldn't be working in your living room, I know, but is there something that you really truly believe was lost because you have, you have changed this medium to fit within the limitations? Like, do you look back at those, um, the type of prints and paintings you are making back in those other situations as not better because obviously the work has uh, improved and evolved and progressed, but, but the actual manner of making them, do you feel like those limitations have caused you to open up something even more interesting? Or do you feel a little bit like, God, I wish I had a printing press again. I could have made this even more interesting with a printing press.
1: no, and uh over the years, I started with carving wood uh-huh. because I was carving it in the studio, and even in school when I first learned how to do woodcuts uh no, no, like everybody on my floor in the academy, they hated me when I was using my tools for carving, yeah, and every single person on my floor were coming to me and being like, "Gotcha, what the fuck." <laughs> So I was like, okay, I need to go somewhere else. So I went, I was in the basement in this tiny room with like, I think that room was used for, I don't know for what exactly. Yeah. But it was the only place in the academy where I could use my tools with the, and nobody could hear me.
0: So the inconvenience really tells you that you have moved onward and upward because that sounds like hell.
1: Yeah, and then I was in when I was in my studio in Tribeca. I was just like, okay, all well, my uh, people who were on the floor again—they were knocking at my door in the middle of, during the day, and they were like, "Can you please stop using those things?" Mm. So I I had to work at night, or in the evening where everybody was leaving. So, and then when I was in Texas, was working in Texas, that was amazing because I could like chisel with my electric tools like hell out of the wood block hmm. but again uh, Caleb was like okay Katya it's been 3 hours of dzz- <laughs> can you
2: please stop
1: <laughs> or can you can you have a break or something yeah and then i switched from wood actual wood to uh mdf yeah, right, right. Because MDF, uh, it's v- much more easy to carve by hand. So mm-hmm. I start using uh, hand—I uh, don't know—the regular like chisels, knives, and stuff like that. Not the not the electric operator and stuff like this. And it it gave me another way how I was carving. And then I was like, when we came back to Los Angeles. I couldn't use the wood or MDF or anything anywhere because there was no space, it was raining. It was like the only straight floor was in the living room Mm. and I couldn't afford the studio and also a pandemic and like, okay, living room. And then I started looking at the other materials that I can carve and I remembered how my teacher in the academy told me that his friend back in the day Found this abandoned uh, hospital, and in the hospital, he carved out a hell of, of the floor.
0: Oh, really? That's where that idea came from?
1: It's It started that wow. it was like the memory of like he was saying something about the linoleum. Hmm. And I was like, oh, linoleum, okay. And then I had this show in Mexico that I needed to, in the very fast, like I had like a week to make three pieces and with wood it's impossible to like the scale that i was working with in with wood three pieces in in 7 days no hmm. it's impossible like or you you just die yeah and uh i went to the home depot and i start looking at the at the linoleum that we were they were selling for the floor that looked like wood and i got that and then my journey started again <laughs> and then i was like you have to experiment with tools different knives what cuts what doesn't cut what kind of vinyl you use like or a linoleum or like what is the backing what is what but it all depends all your practice always depends on the on like on your materials yeah. there is a limitation but it's a beautiful limitation that helps you to develop your own language and your own technique like nobody can do what I'm doing without knowing the essential of the materials that I'm using to create it.
0: I'm really glad you talked about that. Cause I think the, it's crucial to understand how ingenuity is, is such a big part of working as an artist today as not just saying, not just a bunch of us sitting around thinking about, you know, proper techniques in oil painting, but to, you know, really examine how we want to make something, and and we can make something, and the, the, yeah, the limitations, but also just, I think so much of what I want to do and I want to see from other artists is people working, pushing the ingenuity of how to make s- creative objects, how to.
1: You want to say stuff.
2: I mean,
0: really, I I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast already, but I was in New York a couple of months ago, and I don't think this is a trend necessarily. I think it was just good luck, but I saw so much work that was um, sort of painting, but also spoke so much to printmaking and the fact that instead of just marks and gestures, it was scratches and cracks and people really using sort of the substrate as this this thing, this like tangible object, sort of visceral object. And I just saw this as I love when I see someone not just creating an oil painting and like some sort of effect that maybe I could look up on Google and see and like find out how it's done. But to someone who's thinking just a little, little differently, problem solving in a way that I I love problem solving. It's what Uh, why I'm still painting. It's why I still am so serious about my, my, uh, my, my career problem solving. And I think problem solving can be outside of the physical limitations of your space. It can just be like, look at this, what happens next here? How do I solve this? How do I, how do I build this idea as true as I can to the idea itself? Anyway, I'm just happy that we, we, kind of cornered that idea in, in your work specifically. Cause it's
1: how to solve the idea of the size of your work. Don't yeah. work big.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't work big. Yeah. That's an option too. make sure it fits easily in the trunk of your collector's car. <laughs> um, so you jumped into this, we're, we're coming to a close here, but I just got a couple more for you. You live with your partner. Who's also a creative, um, Uh, he works outside of the space it seems uh pretty often but uh how is that working for you do you have any advice about uh sharing a space both when you are so obviously inconveniencing your partner by having a massive piece on the floor but also just in terms of creatives living with other creatives uh can you give us a? Is it just about patience and? Um, yes. It's a just lot of patience a from lot his patience. side. From <laughs> oh okay, all right, not an equal <laughs> amount of patience. I bet it's more equal than you're letting on. No,
1: Isaac, look around. I'm everywhere.
0: You're not. Your beautiful furniture is everywhere. <laughs> you are just sitting in a chair in the corner.
1: No, I think the key is well. Me and my partner, we are cre- working in creative professions, but they're a bit different
0: they are different uh-huh
1: like he works with acting and with sound um and I'm working with visual and um uh, like I don't know if it will work the same way if he would be a visual artist the way I am. Right, right. And I don't know if we would be able to share a space together, but I don't like this this particular space, because when we were in Texas, we had this gigantic barn where we both were working, and he was making music, and I was carving my woodcuts with electric chisels. And I was the asshole in this situation because right. he was trying to write music and I was. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I, I like I figure out what to do with that. So it was like, it's a compromise. And like when I'm working in a big scale, when I was getting ready to the show, it was everywhere. Yeah. Every single wall, space, space, floor, everything was covered with that stuff. And, he was very, 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 very sweet and understanding of like not asking me to move anything anywhere. Mm. But I also work fast, but still,
0: it and was you're not like that all the time. I mean, that's leading up to a show. I mean, it's it's easier yeah, yeah, to yeah. sort of, yeah. as long as you don't treat the space like that uh, year round, which I don't <laughs> think you do. No,
1: I don't, huh. well, it was no, 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 it was like a little. A little tiny roads from one room to another room to figure out where you can step, where you can't step, mm. and all that stuff. Like, because there is like also another process of what I'm doing is when I'm coloring them, mm. it's when I'm putting them on the floor that so it's like this size, like eight by six on the floor, and eight by six when it's stretched, so when it's not stretched, it still has some more, so it's like yeah. nine by seven or something. And that thing is on the floor, and I'm on top of it just, like, coloring. with this, uh, like, dog is walking, lying down on it. People are coming in. I mean, it's just, like, artist life. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, that you can just... And, uh, I don't know, we don't have children. Hmm. So I don't, I don't think that anything like this is possible if you have children. Hmm. Because... Uh, Artist is a very selfish profession. If you want to be an artist, and if you want to be dedicated to your crafts and to your exploring, don't even try to be a parent.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. That's strong words, Katja Sverova.
1: Yeah, I know it probably sounds horrible, but that's what I think right now. Mm. I don't know how the how how artists with children are. They're superheroes for me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you, uh, right down to nah, not recommending we all go on childless. But I, it seems crazy to me. I, I don't know how it would would work either. That said, I know artists who seem to be doing it very successfully. So, um, yeah, superheroes for yeah. sure.
1: So I, absolutely superheroes.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Katya, we. This is the second time you've been on Art Matters. I think you're the first guest to have a second appearance. So I wanna start by saying oh thank you very much. <laughs> and <laughs> and I actually don't know. I might have asked you this last time, which is why I Was it helpful
1: empty. last time by the way?
0: Well you gotta ask our listeners. I think That's I got a few who emails I'm about you. Asking.
1: <laughs> oh I see.
0: If you have an answer for Katya, you can email her at
1: Isaac's email, please. <laughs>
0: So I'm not sure if I asked you this last time, but it's at least been a year, so maybe you have a new answer for it. I'm always curious if the artists that I uh, speak to on this podcast might have a specific word of advice for younger artists, school-aged artists, uh, emerging artists. Anything that you kind of wish you knew back then that, um, that you think might be worth sharing?
1: Lower your expectations?
0: Mm. Lower them?
1: Yeah, lower them. Like put them as low as possible.
0: Why would you ever suggest that?
1: Because if you have a very high expectations about the response at your work, you're gonna get hurt. And it mm. will hurt your art practice. And it will hurt what you're doing and what you, your ideas and everything. Like hurt your expectation, Oh, lower your expectations about how it will be received Mm. from other people, what would be the response, and all that stuff. Because no matter what, it's not gonna fulfill your giant empty hole inside of you, Mm. that you're trying to put as much as possible in there. So just like by lowering your expectations, you are making this hole smaller. Mm. So, that's my suggestion
0: <laughs> like uh, make the little smaller by just becoming a more well-rounded person and and needing less from art or i mean i hear you on the one end because i think lowering your expectations when it comes to the um yeah reception and like how it'll how it will exist how it'll function i get but
1: like for example with my my last solo show that i just had yeah uh I had very low expectations. Mm. Then my expectations were hyped up. Uh And then I got upset because certain expectations wasn't met, the one that I built up during that thing. Right. But the point is that also when you have low expectations, you need to be very grateful for what is happening. Because if if you if you don't expect from people doing what they're doing for you as an artist,
2: yeah,
1: everything is a Christmas.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, right? That's how you can say Hanukkah. Oh, Hanukkah! Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's like that's the thing. Like, celebrate and enjoy everything what you're doing without hoping that. Something is going to happen. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. already happening. That's my advice.
0: It's great advice. And it's a perfect place to end it. Katya, thank you again for <laughs> oh, sure. joining me here. I thank love you, the Isaac. conversation. And uh, maybe we'll get you back for number three.
1: Oh my God. N- not next year, okay?
0: I'll give you a year off.
1: Okay, year off. So in two years from now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to hear something maybe new from you.
0: Ooh, all right. It's a promise. It's a catchy of a promise. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. <laughs> And that was my conversation with Katya Zvereva. I hope you guys enjoyed it very much. If you'd like to find more out about Katya's work, check the episode description. She is listed, I believe her website is art.com, and you'll find her underrepresented artists. You can find me, more of my work at isaacman.com, spelled ISAACMANN. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends if they're artists who might enjoy the show as well. If you have questions for me, please send me an email at artmatterspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Next episode out in two weeks. Until then, keep painting and talk to you then. Bye. Mm-hmm.
1: But I can't.
0: Chocolate after the podcast.
1: No, there is this perfect chocolate that they sell in Trader Joe. Uh-huh. You know, this big, thick
0: Dude, chocolate. I almost got that for you, actually. I was at this place, and they had a, the blue and the red one. Yeah. Yeah, I almost got that for you.
1: The one that with, with the blue with the yeah. hazelnut? Yeah. Oh.
0: That's your jam, huh?
1: Yes, that's the jam. But it's good that you didn't bring here, because oh, I can. It? it's half a pound of chocolate that, it I, is. that I eat in two days. I see. I see. And then I have allergy, and that's over. Got it. Yeah.
0: you, you <laughs> mind if we get back to this yeah, uh, sure. episode here? All right. So... Again, jumping off something that you uh, said before,